Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. I had a really good childhood growing up. I had a strong belief in who, Jesus, who God was. Um, but as I got to high school, uh, that became, became like a back burner thing. And I had just this incredible moment at the end of my freshman year of college where I was probably the farthest from God, but uh, God was not far from me. In my dorm room, I woke up one morning, was not thinking about anything spiritual, wasn't doing anything spiritual, but I had like a Paul moment. It was just hard to explain where all of a sudden the conviction of the Holy Spirit was just on me. And um, basically the question that came to my mind is, Is this who you want to be? Is this how you're supposed to live? Um, You've tasted and seen that I'm good. And why are you living this way? And I had these really deep thoughts about who I am with God and um, I knew I had to get right. So I I came back home, found a church, Calvary Church here, and uh, started attending in that very first service with Pastor Bill in the upper room in the old church on Glendale. I just totally rededicated my life. I was, I was weeping. I couldn't even tell you what the sermon was about. I was crying before we even gave an altar call, but uh, I started to really understand what it means to fully surrender your life. And uh, uh, that's when my real journey with the Lord began. I came back to Toledo, transferred to the University of Toledo, got really involved at Calvary, met my wife, April, um, and got my education uh, to, to teach. Um, art. After about seven years of teaching, God started to put a stirring in my heart, and April was feeling a stirring too that something different was coming. And uh, I went on a missions trip to Scotland, and during that trip, uh, I felt a calling to ministry. And when I got home, I, I knew I was called. I just didn't know to what. <laughs> and so, um, Pastor Bill McGinnis told me about uh, this thing called the World Mission Summit. And I went to this World Mission Summit, and I remember just sitting in the back on one service, and they were challenging college students, would you give a year of your life to go anywhere in the world? And one by one, they're going up and saying, I'm gonna go to Kyrgyzstan, I'm gonna go to like all these far off places. And I remember just putting my hands up and saying, Lord, I will go anywhere. I'll go to the desert, I'll go to the jungle, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Just to show me where it is. And right then there, he put on my heart, I want you to go to the University of Toledo. And I was like, no, (laughs) I went out of Toledo. I want to go somewhere exotic. I want to go somewhere where I can feel like I'm doing something for you. And he didn't leave me with just Toledo. He told me in that moment in my heart, I want you to go to the University of Toledo so you can send college students like the ones you see going up on stage right now to all those places around the world. We've been on campus now for about six and a half years. I ran into an old friend, grew up next to me, Connor Dukavich, and um, I just chatted with him, talked to him for a little bit, and he pointed me in the direction of Chi Alpha. The first Chi Alpha event I went to was just a a weekly meeting, um, like a worship service. Um, I can remember some of the faces in the room. I guess what I remember most is just the first couple times going, just being in that atmosphere of there being something different in the people in the room, like people who actually knew Jesus. I remember the feeling of just a need, a need for that community, a need for 
a personal relationship with Jesus in my life. And so that was kind of the next thing that I stepped into was a student leadership position um, where I was leading a small group and, and trying to find students to fill the seats in my living room. Uh, January 2017, we went to the World Mission Summit. That was really one of the first times that I felt a call on my life specifically. I knew that he was he was calling me into missions and I wasn't sure where at first. And there were so many opportunities in front of me while I was there. You know, I could have gone to Africa or Europe or Eurasia or anywhere. <clears throat> and so I just prayed about it for a long time and I, I still wasn't even sure, but I just dove in and I gave a year uh, to back to the University of Toledo with Chi Alpha. And so I was, you know, once again, just taking on the role of um, just leading students into a further relationship with Christ. Yeah, I guess that was that was part of my process, pouring into the students who were in my core group, uh, pouring into to Jared, um, you know, who's now in missions. Me and uh, my good friend James Baker were on our way out to lunch. We were listening to worship music uh, in his car, and I was kind of humming along to the song, and he was like, oh, you, you know this stuff? I was like, yeah, a little bit. I used to listen to this kind of music. And he's like, hey, my, my campus ministry is having a bowling night this Friday, and he knew I loved to bowl. And so I was like, yeah, that'd be fun, I'm in. And I just remember showing up and immediately feeling that there's something different about this group. So just a few months after that, in January of 2017, there's an event called World Mission Summit, which is where all the Chi Alphas from around the U.S. come together. And I was worshiping one evening and closed my eyes to worship and remember getting a picture clear as day as of doing a presentation in front of Chi Alpha of uh, a trip to Africa. That, and I had never been to Africa. Always loved Africa, but never thought I'd end up there. And I just remember opening my eyes, and as soon as I opened my eyes, they did an altar call for anybody who felt called to give a year to missions and pray about doing it for a lifetime. I just knew that was me, and so I ran down to the front right away. You might not think you're changing the world, but you know, if Isaiah didn't reach uh, out with Connor, and Connor reach out to Matt, and Matt to James, uh, James wouldn't be on a college campus doing ministry right now, and if James didn't reach out to Jared, there wouldn't be missionaries saving people in Africa right now. So he is changing the world. They all are changing the world. And from here on, it's gonna to continue to do that. My, my biggest role, other than help lead people to Jesus, is to help them understand what their participation in the kingdom of God is supposed to be. Well, today Rhonda and I are out of town, but I want to introduce to you our guest, Randy Young. Randy is a friend for many years. He has served in ministry in pastoral capacities, but also as a missionary and now as a trainer and leader in raising up others to do missions around the world. I know that today is gonna to be a day where you're gonna be challenged to consider what God has called us as a church and you as an individual to do. It is a treat for us to have Randy with us. Would you give a great big Calvary welcome to our friend, Randy Young. Hey, good morning, Calvary. Oh, come on, good morning. Good morning. Thankful to be in God's house today. 
What a great Chi Alpha story that was. I love their passion for discipling and evangelizing and sending the next generation of the nations. How good is that? And, and share as one of the ministries that Calvary supports. I want to say thank you to you if you're in the room here. Your years of service. Um, we, we, we appreciate you. Missionaries all over the world appreciate you. So I just want to say, say thank you. Becky, why don't you stand? 43 years of marriage and ministry. How good is that, huh? <laughs> it's hard to believe that it's been 17 years since God blindsided us. How many of you know that God specializes in interrupting lives? The Bible is the story of interrupted lives for greater purposes. And 17 years ago, God blindsided us and called us to leave the church that we love, the church that we pastored, the church that we actually planted, pioneered, Cleveland, Ohio, that became 35 nationalities. And every Sunday morning was like a foretaste of heaven with ages and races worshiping together to the glory of God. And, and, and he moved us along into full-time mission 17 years ago. And Calvary, you have been with Becky and I every step of the way from the beginning. And I just want to say thank you for your faithfulness to God's kingdom agenda, God's global agenda, to missionary partners all over the world. As partners in the gospel, Paul says that's who we are. All right? We are partners in the gospel together. As partners in the gospel, together we have trained and mobilized 30 young Colombians to reach the 80 tribes of Colombia. How cool is that? And, and, and in doing so, um, hundreds of churches have been planted. Personally, been in 17 tribes with tent and sleeping bag from the Andes, the Amazon. Do I look like a tent and sleeping bag guy to anybody in the room here this morning? God's got a sense of humor, interrupted life, blindsided, yeah. And, and so... Um, training over 300 indigenous leaders in their tribal context to establish the church. And yes, along the way, we've had two martyrs, workers who've laid down their lives for the cause of Jesus in remote Colombia. We're back in two weeks. We're in the northern Andes among the Arawakos tribe, a tribe of 51,000 people, never been a church on their soil and in their language. We have a couple there that have pioneered work and uh, God is opening a door, and people are being saved, and young people are being called into ministry. We're going in to train next generation leaders to plant the church. Pray with us that there will be a church on our Waco soil in their language to the glory of God. Thank you for your prayers. And um, together, over the last 17 years, we've mobilized hundreds of college and career age people to the nations. Over 200, anywhere from three months to three years of their life. Now some full career appointed. And over the last seven years, dozens and dozens of young adults have gone into full-time ministry, gone into full-time missions. That's what we've done together because we're partners in the gospel. Now God has opened a door for us into Asia, Southeast Asia. For the last nine years, we've taken one-month student teams into Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia, Myanmar, Thailand, and a new emerging ministry within the Assemblies of God called Change the Map. I'm a part of a four-man strategic team tasked to figure out how to reach the entire Buddhist world with the gospel. We need your prayer. Please stand with us with Change the Map. And part of that strategy is BAM, or Business as Mission. 
and we're going to be raising up young missionaries with business skills and business acumen and business passion to establish beachheads for the gospel and remote places where the church hasn't been yet so that we can begin reaching those regions of Southeast Asia with the gospel. So please be praying with us. One million Buddhists. Our goal in the next five years is to raise up 150 new missionaries and 25,000 intercessors. Go to ctm.world and you can check it out and become one of our 25,000 intercessors. So now Asia and, and, and something new, God's put on our hearts and, and we're sliding down below college age now to middle school and high school kids. And next summer, we're running three missions camps for middle school and high school kids. And it's very simple where, 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 where teenagers can, can explore the call expand their knowledge, and experience the field. Explore the call of God on their life. God, what are you calling me to do with my life? Uh, um, expand their knowledge of who God is and what he's doing in the planet right now and how they can be a part of that and to personally experience the field by being involved in God's work. So if you're a parent, if you're a teen, if you're a grandparent, stop by our booth and you can pick up some stuff on missions camps for next summer. Well, let's begin with a question today, all right? What is 750,000 miles long? At that length, it would go around the circumference of the earth 30 times, and it grows 20 miles longer every day. Get that image in your mind. 750,000 miles, 30 times around the earth, 20 miles longer. Folks, that's the line of the lost on planet earth today. If we put shoulder to shoulder every person on the planet that is yet to discover life and love in Jesus Christ, that line would go around the earth 30 times. It grows 20 miles longer every day. And in this stage of life and ministry, come on, I just last month signed up for Medicare, folks. Here we go. I'm slowing down. Becky. <laughs> Shut up, Leah. <laughs> Becky and I, we just want to shorten that line. Isn't that why we're still on the planet? Isn't that why we're not already in heaven today? God wants to be involved in the work of shortening that line, over 7,000 unreached people groups still on planet Earth, ranging the hundreds of the hundreds of thousands. You can travel hundreds of miles and you'll never find a church on their soil. People can't discover Jesus in their tribal context if they want to because he hasn't been there yet through his followers. 86% of Buddhists and Hindus have never even met a follower of Jesus. 24 people every minute, friends, 24 people every minute going to eternity without ever hearing the name of Jesus one time. Look at this quote from a missionary statesman. The gospel is good news only if it gets there in time. I mean, ripe fruit doesn't stay ripe forever. Isn't that right? It falls to the ground and it, it's over. Gospel is good news only if it gets there in time. And in this season of life and ministry, Becky and I have dreamed so many ministry dreams over 40-some years together. But we dream now that languages currently spoken on earth will for the first time be heard around the throne of heaven in praise. That's our passion. Several years ago, we found ourselves in the center Central Columbia, the Newcock tribe. Newcock, small, nomadic, hard to find. Dark, depressing, hopeless, one of the most unsettling places I've ever been in. But in the middle of that, we found a young couple, Ober and Angie, who, who became followers of Jesus. And 
I got to baptize. I mean, think about this. I got to baptize the first known believers from the new country. Pinch me. I get to do this, all right? Now praise is going to the throne of God in the Newcock tongue. And we have workers, young Colombians working among them, planting the church. How cool is that? And, and, and as I continue to rejoice, and even that day when we rejoiced at what God was doing, you know what? I think God was already on the move someplace. God was saying, okay, check that one off. It's time to go on to the next one. And, and if I would give a title to this message, it's simply the next one. The next one. The next tribe, the next tongue, the next people, the next people group, the next church that needs to be planted. Folks, this has to happen over 7,000 times before Jesus said, I'm coming back. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached as a witness to every nation, tribe, and tongue, and then the end will come, he said. And this passion for the next one marked the Apostle Paul and his ministry, we read about it in Romans chapter 15. Look at these verses with me. Paul says, yet, yet I, he says, I have written you quite boldly. He's talking about the whole letter of Romans to this point. I've written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except for what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles, those who don't know God from a hole in the wall, tribes and tongues, to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the, whole, power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not build on someone else's foundation. He says, rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see. And those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered, Paul says to the Roman church, from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, he says, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. Spain was the next one for Paul. He says, I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while, or after we have enjoyed each other's company. In Romans 15, Paul pivots for 14 chapters. He's gone in-depth in some of the most in-depth teaching in all the New Testament. He pivots from this teaching to a revelation of his great missionary heart. Paul shows his heart here, all right? If the book of Acts tells his story, then, Acts, then Romans 15 reveals his passion, his passion for all peoples. If the book of Acts displays his courage and the conviction to go where Jesus has never been heard, Romans 15 unveils his singular focus to preach where Christ is not known. His second missionary, the book of Acts tells us, began with just a simple desire, Paul and his team, to return to Asia, to go back to strengthen the churches they established in the first journey and to see if they could open some new doors. And if you were a part of Paul's team on that, first, on that second missionary journey, 
You'd be wandering around Asia Minor, and you'd go so far, and then the Spirit would say to Paul, no, this isn't it, and you'd pivot, and you'd go in another direction. No, no, no. It's like, Paul, will you get your act together? Will you hear from God? We're tired of wandering and having the Spirit tell us no. So one night, Paul has a vision. That vision, Acts 16, is the man of Macedonia saying, "Come, modern-day Europe, where the gospel had never been before, come over and help us. Because God has a passion for the next one. And at that point in time, the next one was to take the gospel into Europe. This man of Macedonia says, come over and help us. And Paul knew that help meant one thing. It was time to take the gospel into Europe. And over the next several chapters, he's in three different cities. They plant three churches and establish three churches in those cities in Europe. And then three times they're run out of town. If you're on Paul's team, you're on the road quite often. They're run out of town, and he finds himself at Athens. And in Athens, he finds himself on Mars Hill, the Acropolis, with the great learning, uh, great men of learning from the city and the city leaders and the city fathers. And he's explaining to them uh, creation, and he's, and he's talking about their, their altar to the unknown God. You don't know about this God, but let me tell you about him. And he's, he's explaining things. And the Bible says that when he gets to talk about the resurrection... Everything changed. And when he mentions the word resurrection, the Bible says some laughed. Some said maybe later we'll talk about this, but some believed. I love that. And church, we got to be okay with that in our culture today. we got to be people that are sharing Jesus. And some may laugh, and some may say later, I don't want to talk about this later. But you know what? Some will believe. He didn't plant a church in Athens. And he heads on to Corinth, having no idea that over the next decades, a man named Dionysus would become the first bishop of the church at Athens, because the church is established in Athens. Paul had no idea that in time, the Parthenon, that great building on the Acropolis that represented the gods of, of the Athenians, the Parthenon would one day become a Christian church. Paul had no idea when he stepped away from Athens that every Good Friday to this day in the nation of Greece, every Good Friday, all the flags in Greece are lowered to half-mast in honor of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul had no idea. You know, folks, you just never know what God might do if you take time to plant some seeds. You just don't know. So he's on to... Corinthianized Corinth. Corinth was so reprobate, so lustful and sex crazed that people that lived that kind of lifestyle were called Corinthianized. He's on to Corinth. He's there 18 months. He's now in his late 50s. He's been following Jesus for 25 years, and he has packed a whole lot into those 25 years. And from Corinth, he writes this letter to the Christians who are in Rome. And Rome's a church that he's never visited. It's a church that he did not plant. And he goes into great detail in his teaching. He writes boldly about the gospel. And even starting in chapter 1, he lays out three I am statements. Now, we talk about the I am statements of Jesus and the gospel of John. You know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door. All those kind of things. But Paul has his own three I am statements. They're all connected to the gospel. He says, first of all, he says, uh, because of what Christ has done for me, I'm a debtor. 
I owe a debt of love to every man, woman, and child on the planet that this gospel that came to me that changed my life, now I'm responsible this gospel moves through me to make a difference in other people's lives. So Paul says, I am a debtor. Secondly, he says, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God and the salvation. It's changed my life. How could I be ashamed of this gospel that has totally changed me? I'm a debtor. I'm not ashamed. But I love this last one. He says, you know what? Also, he says, I'm eager. I'm eager to bring the gospel to you who are in Rome also. I'm eager to take the gospel to the next one. Church, we got to be more eager. we got to have an eagerness grow in our spirit to see the gospel move to places where it's never been before. And here we are now in chapter 15. And Paul shares what drives him as a missionary apostle to make disciples of all nations to go to the never reached. And first of all, he's driven by a very clear call to the never reached. And secondly, Paul says he's driven by a singular conviction that the gospel really is powerful. And thirdly, he's driven by a consuming passion for the glory of God among all peoples. Let's take these one at a time. His clear call, driven by a passion for the never reached. I think as Paul reflects on past ministry and future plans, he says, you know what? Everything I've ever done in my life for God, it's all because of grace. My favorite definition of grace, hang on to this, two words, outside help. God, it's not in me to do this. God, I don't have the capacity, the ability, the, the bandwidth. It's not in me to do this. So grace, God. And Paul said, everything I've done for the Lord has been because of his grace flowing to me and flowing through me. And because of that, the Gentiles become his offering to God. And he says, I boast only in his glory and the joy of presenting tribes to Jesus, presenting the next ones to the Lord. If the nations were the bullseye for Paul, think of a target. Uh, excuse me, if the nations were the bullseye in the plan of God, then Paul was like the tip of an arrow or the tip of a spear. And I want you to get this picture in your brain, all right? He's a pioneer. And, and, and he has a team with him that let's say that team becomes the, 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 the arrowhead or the spearhead. And the spirit thrusts them into places where Jesus has never been named before to plant the church. Now, now a spearhead is pretty cool, but without a shaft, it's not a whole lot of good. I mean, you can throw it. I'm a lefty. You can throw it, but good luck hitting the target. Without a shaft to guide it, to direct it, and propel it straight to the target. And, and you know what? I see the shaft today as you and I, the body of Christ. If we're not giving generously, if we're not praying fervently, if we're not mobilizing nonstop the next generation to go to the nations, then these spearheads are like arrows without a shaft. Paul saw himself as the tip of the arrow. Now, I was thinking about this the other day. Remember the World War II posters of Rosie the Riveter? Then the lady, I mean, she's flexing her guns, and, and, and she's, and you know what? 
That was all about while the men were in Europe and the men were fighting in, in, in uh, Asian theater in the Pacific, the factories were filled with women and other people, and, and, and they had a job to do in this war effort. In fact, historians tell us that if the passion and the expenditure of energy and the effort at home did not match the effort of the men on the front lines, we'd have never got the job done. Church, that's you and I today. We have frontline workers all over the world, but our passion level needs to rise to match theirs so that we see the Great Commission fulfilled. Paul was the tip of the arrow. His team was the arrowhead, but we are the shaft, mobilizing, interceding, giving sacrificially. Not only was he the tip of the arrow, but he also saw himself, I think, as a continuation of the ancient call of God and plan of God for the world. Um, I've been looking at the Bible a lot differently lately. Uh, I'm seeing the Bible now as one really cool story, the story of God, the story of God on a mission. And and Genesis 1 through 11, I see as kind of like the warm-up of the introduction to the Bible. I mean, in Genesis 1, we, we get creation, not as much detail as we'd like, but we get creation, we get the fall, okay? We get the flood, we get Babel and how all these people groups and languages scattered all over the world in the first place. But in Genesis 12, God initiates a plan through a man and his name's Abraham. He says, hey, Abraham, I want you to get up and leave your people. Maybe that's a word for somebody today. It's time. Go on. I want you to get up and leave your people. I want you to go forth. God, where's forth? Just start going and I'll tell you when you get there. Okay, and I want you to go forth. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a blessing. And through you, all the peoples of the world are going to be blessed. And God initiates a plan through the man named Abraham. The Bible, 66 books, but one story. The Bible, so much more than just wisdom for life. How to run a business, how to, how to handle your finances, how to raise a family. You know, th- there's a lot of wisdom in the Bible and the stories of the Bible, but we can't stop there because this God on a mission, all those Bible stories that I started learning when I was that big, I now see a whole other set of the characters in those stories. Because in the backdrop of those stories that we don't pay enough attention to, God works in the life of Daniel and Esther and David and others in full view of the nations. The nations are the set of characters that we miss in the story. Let me put it this way. For God so loved Egypt that he sent Joseph. For God so loved Persia that he raised up Esther to be a queen to bless the Persian people. For God so loved Babylon, that the greatest kingdom on the face of the earth, that he sent Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And they were so influential that one day Nebuchadnezzar would decree that the God of of Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, that he's to be worshiped across my whole kingdom. For God so loved Nineveh. Come on now. Special. It took a special delivery system, didn't it? (laughs) <laughs> to get Jonah to Nineveh. But God so loved Nineveh, he sent Jonah. Hear, hear me when I say this. Nobody is going to add another book to the Bible. We know that. You better not try. But the story of God is still being written. And he wants to write a chapter in that story through your life, through your ministry, to your calling, to your purpose, to your, catch this, your ends of the earth assignment that he has just for you. I love this quote here. 
about the Bible as a missions manual. If you take missions out of the Bible, all you have left is the covers. Genesis to Revelation, it's all about the mission of God. And it begs the question, does God's church have a mission or does God's mission have a church? Which came first and what's the big, the big goal? God's mission has a church and he's sending us into all the world. And Paul saw God writing the next chapter of his mission through his life. And again, I want to say it. He wants to write a chapter in the mission of God through your life. Galatians 3.29 says, if anyone is in Christ, anybody here in Christ? Come on. Aren't you glad you're in Christ today? If anybody is in Christ, you're Abraham's seed, you're Abraham's kids, and you're heirs to the promise. Today, what promise are we heirs of that God gave to Abraham? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a blessing. That's you and me. And through you, all the peoples of the world are going to be blessed. Calvary, God wants to bless the peoples of the world through you individually and through your church corporately in new and exciting ways. So what's the great need today? We have a great need of a whole new wave of pioneers to go to the tough places. The last 10 years working in Southeast Asia, helping our missionaries there reach the never reached and the tribes along the Chinese border, help them get to the next ones in Vietnam, training and empowering tribes who have the gospel to reach the tribes around them that do not have the gospel yet. It's a pretty cool strategy. A few young men with one tribe that had the gospel began venturing into a neighboring tribe. Uh, they went in with just some education help with some medicines that that tribe didn't have to help with uh, some things that were going on medically within that tribe. They did some community projects, and for months they just began to love and serve on this other tribe. One day, here comes the local communist authorities in Vietnam. Oh, no, what's going to happen now? Are they going to shut us down? And they said, here, we want you to have these. What are these? These are seven permits. Seven permits for what? This is permission to build seven village churches in this tribe. <laughs> we know you didn't ask for them, but we love what you're doing. Keep it up. How cool is that? How cool is that? The clear call of Paul was to the never reach, to the next ones. And that Matthew 28 call was on the whole church, you and I, on every disciple today. It's time for the whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole world. Or as John Stott said it this way, you and I... We must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. Our God is a global God. Secondly, Paul was driven by a singular conviction of the power of the gospel. He says in Romans 15, my gospel came in word and deed. In other words, I, I proclaimed it and I lived it. That's important. Word, deed, sign, and wonder. My gospel came in word and deed and sign What's a sign? A sign is something that points to something. Is that right? And the signs pointed to Jesus validating both message and messenger before the hearers. Wonders were simply things that the Spirit of God did to, to uh, get the people's attention as Paul preached. My gospel came, word, deed, sign, and wonder. He says, from Jerusalem all around to Illyricum, which is modern-day Albania, the early 90s in a missions trip, I almost died. That's a whole other story. I won't go there. But Paul was a gospel-centric man. We have a lot of needs in our world today, folks. Legitimate needs. 
But the world's greatest need today is not clean water. It's not better education. The world's greatest need is not justice or eradication of human trafficking. The world's greatest need is what it's always been. It's Jesus Christ. The greatest need of the world is the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus Christ because only Jesus can change a human heart. Education is not going to do that. Only Jesus can change a nation, tribe, or tongue. He's Lord. So he's the great issue, Jesus Christ or not Jesus Christ. And I believe the greatest injustice in the world today is that someone could live their entire life on planet Earth and never hear the name of Jesus one time. I call it the eternal injustice, that 24 a minute that go into eternity without ever hearing his name in their lifetime. Paul had a singular conviction of the power of the gospel. He was a gospel-centric man. Paul knew, this is important, Paul knew that all were equally lost, but that all did not have equal access to the gospel. I have people ask me all the time, why are you going over there? Aren't there lost people in Ohio? This is important for us to understand. Yes, there are lost people in Ohio, but I want to ask you, when you leave church today and you drive 15 minutes in any direction, how many churches are you going to pass? Access to the gospel is here for anybody that wants it. But again, all are equally lost, but all do not have equal access to the gospel. That's why the Spirit of God and and Paul was all about it. It's all about the next one, the next tribe, the next tongue, because catch this, for Paul, it wasn't wasn't just about seeing people saved. It was about seeing peoples saved, nations, tribes, and tongues. So missions is kind of like, Lee, it's kind of like a big scavenger hunt for God collecting the next people groups until all 7,000 left are reached. It wasn't just about people. It was about peoples until that Revelation 7-9 vision of every nation, tribe, and tongue and worship around the throne is fulfilled. That's why Paul preached where Christ was not known. We got a partner in a communist nation that will go unnamed. It's just a nation of 6 million people, not very big, but still with over 100 unreached people groups in it. And they're working in the north, and uh, they, run a, they run a school, a life center for over 100 tribal kids every day, from elementary to senior high. And these kids are learning English, they're gaining life skills, they're being provided a hot meal, and I can tell you from my times there, the darkness is tangible in this Buddhist communist nation. If you want a hamburger, there's not a McDonald for hundreds of miles. But there is a local restaurant called Bamboozle, and they kind of make a decent hamburger. So any Westerners in this town, they go to Bamboozle because <laughs> you can get some Western-type food. And, and uh, there's a young man, there, young man there, he would go unreached, who worked at Bamboozle. And when we sat there, uh, he was actually tending bar, and his English was pretty good. And we said, hey, where, where's your English coming from? He says, well, I watch as much American TV as I can. <laughs> Thank you very much. And he said, I tend bar here because that's how I get into conversations with Westerners to, to practice my English. And, and his, he didn't know Jesus from a hole in the wall, but he said, hey, I heard about your school. Do you think I could teach there? And my friend said, well, under, in his back of his mind, he's thinking, everybody that teaches at our place is saved. But something stirred in him to say, invite this young man to come on board. So he invited him to come, and this young man sat 
in his first class just to observe and all that. And my friend always starts his class with a proverb. In this particular morning, he wrote on the board, a good name is to be desired more than great riches. And then he went on and taught the class, and he talked to this young man afterwards. He said, what did you think? What did you learn? And the guy said, I really like that proverb. Where did you get that? And my friend said, you like that? I got a whole book of them. He said, this book is in a larger book called the Bible. Have you ever heard of it? No. And this book tells the story of a man named Jesus, who's the Savior of the whole world. Have you ever heard of him? No. Over time, this young man was saved. He was baptized in an underground church on an Easter Sunday morning. Shortly after that, his fiance was saved. I asked the young man, what's, what's the best thing Jesus has done for you? And he said, you know what? He said, the fear is gone. He said, we live in torment and fear of the spirits. He said, in my village, we sleep with the lights on because we believe that when you turn the lights out, that's when the spirits come in. He said, the fear is gone. And what, what we did not know, that this young man was from a remote tribe in the mountains where the gospel has never been before. And he became the first follower of Jesus from his tribe. And his girlfriend was from a neighboring tribe. And she became the first follower of Jesus from her tribe. And now praise is going to the throne of God in these languages on earth that have never been heard ever in heaven we believe not only are they the first disciples, but they're the first Christian family now that they're married. And, 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 and they're going to be the first pastors in their tribe. And, and they're going to plant the first churches ever on their soil, all because of a proverb and all because of a pioneer who said, I'm called to the next one. And all because of the gospel that calls us to go and make disciples of all nations, Moffat who was a missionary to Africa and father-in-law to the great missionary Livingston said this, in the vast plain to the north, I have sometimes seen in their early morning light the smoke of a thousand villages. Where no missionary has ever been. The smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary has ever been. Where's the Spirit wanting to send the church? To the next one. Where does He want to send Calvary and you and I? To the next one. For the Apostle Paul, the only and ultimate hope of the world is the good news of Jesus Christ. And finally, Paul was driven by a consuming passion for the glory of God in verses 21 through 24. He says, my activity among the unreached in Asia Minor has put off my desired visit to come see you, followers of Jesus in Rome. But now he says here, I'm coming. And he says, I'm coming, but understand, I'm just passing through because I'm on my, on my way to Spain. Spain was the next one for Paul. Spain never touched 
with the story of Jesus to that point in history. He says, I'm on my way to Spain. He said, while we're together, we can refresh each other. And I hope you can assist me. That sounds like a missionary, doesn't it? I hope you can support my ministry because he saw Rome. He says, I'm so far away from my base in Antioch now. I need a base further west. And I'm, I'm seeing your church as my base of operations to launch into the unreached in Western Europe. And he says, uh, I need you to assist me. <laughs> he says, because there's no more work left for me to do in these regions. I'm thinking, Paul, what the heck? No more lost people where you are right now? And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. I've labored here. The church has been established here. The leaders have been trained here. The church is beginning to reach out to its own community. My work is done here because I'm a pioneer. He said, he said I'm, I'm off to Spain He'd never get there. History tells us that he was beheaded for his faith on the Appian Way outside of Rome. But this spoke to me, this hit me. As a follower of Jesus, as a global disciple, I said, Lord, one day when, I, when my number's up or you come, whatever comes first, Lord, when, when it's my time, I want to die with a spade in my heart. I want, to, I want to die with dreaming of the next thing, the next one I get to do for you. I never want to stop dreaming. And I said, Lord, even when I'm old and gray, and I'm pretty much there on a lot of fronts, you know, Leah, how much time? Hear me, church. There's not a place on the planet that you can't make a difference in every day of your life. You don't even need a passport. You just need to be willing to get on your knees. Pray for a tribe. Pray for a tongue. Pray for a nation. Befriend a missionary. Get close in spirit with someone that's doing something for God. Somebody on the planet and say, I'm on their team every day. You have to be some kind of trained intercessor. You just got to follow Jesus and open your mouth. Say, God, how do I help them from my knees? When my number's up, I'm going to die with a spain in my heart. I, I said to Becky, I want to live long and die young. And then our last name's young, so that's going to happen no matter what. But I want to live long. I want to die young to the glory of God. I don't want to get old. The old Dylan song. <laughs> I was so much older than, I'm younger than that now. Spain, because it was the next one for Paul, it was the never reached. Spain, because Jesus deserved glory. Praise from the people that lived there. It was in the early 1700s, Dober and Nietzsche in Eastern Europe. Two men, one was a carpenter and one was a potter. As their church was very missions-minded, they just a burn grew in them for, to reach the slaves of the West Indies with the gospel. It wasn't going away. They shared it with their leadership. And uh, catch this, they found out that they would be willing, they'd be able to go to establish a mission among the slaves. But the only way they'd be allowed to do that is if they became slaves themselves. They'd have to sign their lives away for the rest of their lives to fulfill the call of God that they were feeling. And, and that's what these two young men did. Time came for them to get on that great clipper ship. Can you imagine the church on the docks for that send-off? Never to see him again. 
And on 8 October 1732, as the ship moved out into the harbor, the two young men moved to the bow of the boat, and they shouted at the top of the lungs, the Lamb of God is worthy. The Lamb of God is worthy to receive praise from the slaves of the West Indies. The Lamb of God is worthy to receive the reward of his suffering from this population. How did they display such courage and conviction? They grew up in a very missions-focused church like Calvary. You know that Moravian church, this blows me away. They started a prayer meeting for missions. The only thing people prayed about in this prayer meeting was the fulfillment of the Great Commission. This prayer meeting went on 24-7. Somebody from the church, every hour of the day, seven days a week, for over a hundred years straight, prayed for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. No wonder this church sent one out of every 12 members into full-time missionary work. I love it. I love it. Well, a year ago, uh, last May, I, I suddenly awoke in the morning with something on my mind. It was a simple question, God, what's it going to take to finish the work? I felt the Lord download into my spirit three simple things. We need to see a whole new wave of pioneers. We need to see a whole new wave of prayer and intercession. In my mind and my heart was, God, how do we raise up 25,000 intercessors for the fulfillment of the Great Commission? And the third thing was, we need a whole, um, we need to see a restored to the North American church a passion for the glory of God among all peoples. A few weeks later, I got a call from Southeast Asia. The director of AG Missions there called me and said, Randy, um, I've been thinking of you because I'm putting together a team for this new thing called Change the Map because we need a whole new wave of pioneers and we need 25,000 intercessors. <laughs> I knew God was up to something. Today, Becky and I, Holy Spirit is pivoting us into full-blown mobilization of the next generation. 25,000 intercessors, a whole new wave of pioneers. We'll be talking to you, Greg, about Kaiafa mobilizing students to Southeast Asia. Uh, and we're just loving what, what God is doing. We're very, very thankful. And we're, we're not going to slow down, church. We're just not going to slow down. As a disciple, follower of Jesus, Paul had a clear call and sense of responsibility to the nations. And so do you and I. Clear call. As a disciple, follower of Jesus, Paul had a singular conviction of the power of the gospel. And God help us recover that passion that the gospel is the only hope of the world. And Paul, as a disciple follower of Jesus, had this, this consuming passion to see Jesus uh, receiving glory from every nation, tribe, and tongue on earth the next one. And may, may that passion for God's glory among all peoples burn in us as never, ever before. So our need, God raise up a new wave of pioneers to finish the work, to reach the next one. God, release your church in Great Commission intercession. Let's all jump on board, huh? And uh, God, receive the glory you deserve from every tribe and tongue to fulfill Revelation 7-9. May that become heaven's reality. That one day around the throne, it's promised that there will be worshipers from every tribe and tongue. But until that day, folks, we got work to do. We got work to do together. We got work to do partners, missionaries, and local churches. We, we just got work to do. Well, as we come to a moment of personal response, and please don't tune me out because I think the Lord's speaking to some people today. The Holy Spirit brings us to this moment. I want to share one more quote with you. 
that's, I think, necessary and a little bit disturbing, Livingston himself said, sympathy is no substitute for action. Let that sink in. Sympathy, feeling it, hoping it, wanting it, is no substitute for doing something about it. Getting engaged, saying, God, what is my great commission, ends of the earth assignment that you have for me? Sympathy is no substitute for action. The truth is, the mission of God is still going forth. Chapters are still being written. He wants to write a chapter in the story of God through your life. And I have a simple conviction that God has for every follower of Jesus, every person in this room, an ends of the earth, next one assignment. He's got an, I, I want you to, I want that word assignment to bury itself in your brain. He's got an assignment for you and I. Not just talking about our gifts or talking about our passions. God, what is my great commission assignment? What's the next one you've got for me today? Maybe God wants you to say, I want you to do a little digging and find a tribe that does not have a church yet on its soil, and I want you to become an intercessor for that tribe until Jesus is being glorified in that language. Maybe God wants to put a nation on your heart made up of multiple tribes that God just wants you to become a prayer to adopt a nation personally. Or maybe there's a missionary that God wants you to embrace, to really get close to, to not just give it lip service, but, but to personally join their team from the States as a giver and as a prayer. And maybe one day a goer, I don't know, but God, maybe God wants, in fact, there are packets, isn't that right? Under the banners outside of all the missionaries. That, and, and, and the appeal today is, is that everyone in this room, before you go out the door, you stop by and you pick up one, one, Leah said only one, one packet that you become a prayer partner with. For some of you, it won't be the next one. It might just be the first one, but that's okay. And that's really, really good. Start today. Start today. This gospel shall be preached as a witness, every nation, tribe, and tongue, and then the end will come. We all have a part to play to bring the return of Jesus to fruition. Let's bow our hearts in prayer, church. Thank you, Lord Jesus. With our hearts bowed in prayer, I believe God is calling some of us in this room to go. You've been faithful in praying for missionaries. You've been faithful with faith promises and supporting people, but something's stirred inside of you. It might be short-term, it might be long-term, but God is saying, I'm, I'm sending you now. And if, that, if something inside of you is just saying, God, I'm willing. If you want to send me, I, I'm willing to go. Would you just slip up a hand before the Lord and say, God, I'm willing to go. Come on. All, yeah, all across this room. God, I am willing to go, not just to support, not just to pray, but I'm willing to go. And some of you, I, I'll tell you, you've been sitting on a call to the nations long enough. You've known that God wants you to go. You just haven't set it in motion yet. And the Lord's saying, today's the day to set it in motion. Today's the day to get up and start moving. If that's you and you say, no, I've been sitting on it's time, raise your hand because I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for you today, yeah. Lord Jesus, as we bow our hearts before you, Lord of the harvest, we're asking, as you instructed us to, we're asking for laborers today. We're asking for laborers from Calvary 
Father, I pray by your spirit that people would begin to hear that still small voice that says, this is the way, walk in it. And Lord, by your spirit, help us all to embrace our ends of the earth, next one, assignment. Help us to embrace our assignments, faithful to carry them out until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name and the whole church said together, amen. Amen. God bless you, Calvary. Thank you.